0: many of us remember sitting on the curb downtown in November and December with hot chocolate stained mittens squished between hundreds of other excited families waiting for Santa Claus to arrive as the finale of his very own parade. At the end of all the marching bands, floats, and the occasional Shriner in a tiny car, kids jockey for position for a chance to grab the best candy canes and a glimpse of Kris Kringle. Across Canada and many cities, Santa Claus parades are held yearly and are a chance for communities to come together and celebrate the start of the holiday season. They act as a showcase for local community groups, companies, and politicians. But when did this tradition start, and why? This Christmas display gone wild has become the harbinger of the holiday for many Canadians, which depending on how you look at it, is the kickoff to the annual buying frenzy that is December, or ushers in a season of giving. So, pull on that ugly Christmas sweater and Santa hat because this week we are noticing the history of the Santa Claus parade in Canada.
1: Welcome to Notice History, the podcast where we notice the history all around us. We're your hosts, Robin Mullins,
2: Nick Bridges,
1: and Keely McCabot. Have you all attended the Santa Claus parade? Yes.
2: I have. My town had one every year. Well, they still have one, I suppose.
1: In in your absence, they <laughs> in still my continue? Absence,
2: yeah, surprisingly, they keep going. <laughs> they didn't shut it
1: down. Yeah, like, Nick's gone. What's the point, right? <laughs> they found a way to continue without it.
2: <laughs> yeah, somehow. <laughs> somehow, somehow. <way. laughs>
1: so where does it go in water down?
2: Where does it go? Um, I guess this will be meaningless for anyone that isn't from Waterdown or hasn't been there, but it goes from Memorial Park down Hamilton Street to Dundas Street, follows Dundas Street down to Mill Street, goes up Mill Street, and back around to Memorial Park. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just a nice big square. Lots of people come out, and it's become controversial recently Mm -hmm. with the amount of people coming into Waterdown. They're pretty upset with how each other are uh, prepping for for the parade. Uh-oh. people are putting out their chairs 2 days in advance
1: 2 days 2 days
2: they're staking their spots
1: are these like are they golden candy canes like what is what's so special
2: what's so special about the parade
1: well yeah like are they giving out golden candy canes is that why people are standing up
2: you'll have to go to find out
1: right? <laughs> That's I, the secret but i'll have to take a whole weekend off to be able to get my seats
2: hey you know what it's worth it Apparently,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you're one of those people setting up your chairs two days early.
2: <laughs> no, I'm just shocked they're all there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice. I went to the Santa Claus parade as a kid as well, and then I kind of relived it because I have a younger sister who's quite a bit younger than me. So I would take her to that. So I saw it as a child when you're all excited, and then as like a teenager when you're like oh, no, and then I have cousins who are even younger, and I've taken them. So I've been there as an adult when it's just chaos. Chaos, <laughs> bloodshed. <laughs> so which one have you, which ones maybe, which towns have you been to? Um, I've only seen the Christmas Parade in London.
2: So. All right, Robin, what about your Santa Claus Parade experiences?
1: Well, I don't really have any strong recollections of going to a Santa Claus Parade. I It certainly wasn't an annual event in my household. I feel as though I may have inadvertently or accidentally attended one Um I, I feel like etobico rings some bells of watching it go down the main street because we were just off the main street so we would have gone to um different floats and parades that went down there anyways but for some reason i have memories of candy canes at one so it must have been santa claus parade
2: So, so you're saying you accidentally attended one <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm sure it wasn't accidental, but it could have been, um, because Santa Claus wasn't a real figure in my childhood, nor nor in my adulthood, really. Um, just not really. I don't need him. He doesn't need me. We're We live separate lives, and we're okay with it. You may or may not already be aware, but the tradition of a Santa Claus parade appears to be a specifically North American tradition. The first recorded parade was held in Pretoria, Illinois, in the United States. While parade planners in 1981 claimed the first parade occurred in 1887, research performed by journalist Phil Luciano of the Journal Star, which is Pretoria's newspaper, in 2014 reveals that no evidence actually exists to support that claim. Parades in 1887 and 1888 did occur, but they only occurred in support of a new bridge. So it was not until 1895 that Pretoria held a parade with the actual Santa Claus in it. Not necessarily the actual, actual Santa Claus. We'll leave that to you to decide. But a Santa Claus. So that's when he marks his arrival at a local store. However, this is still 10 years before the next recorded Santa Claus parade would begin. And that other parade, which we're about to discuss, is going to be the one that becomes the biggest in North America. So can you guess which one that will be?
2: Hmm. Macy's, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving
1: Parade? I think that's what we're all considering. <laughs> but uh, maybe, Nick, you can set us straight.
2: Despite what you might be thinking, the Macy's, Santa Claus, or Thanksgiving Parade is neither one of the oldest nor the largest such parade in North America. That honor is Canadian. The Toronto Santa Claus Parade holds both of those titles. Contrary to popular belief, the Toronto Santa Claus Parade actually inspired the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, which is often viewed as one of the earliest holiday parades in North America. In reality, it was actually only established in 1924, long after the initial Santa Claus Parade in Toronto, and it uses the popularity of Eaton's Parade as an inspiration alongside many other American cities, including notable parades such as Detroit's Thanksgiving Day Parade.
0: The first parade in Toronto was barely a parade at all, but it established the core of the event we know so well today. On December 3rd, 1905, Santa Claus arrived at Union Station in Toronto. And once again, we can neither confirm nor deny that this is the actual Santa Claus, but a clause of some description did arrive at Union Station. He was met there by the Eaton's family, owners of the well-known Eaton's department store. The Eaton family escorted Santa through the city to their Toronto store. Santa rode in a horse-drawn carriage while the Eatons walked alongside with trumpeters and footmen, which is pretty fancy. That's so fancy. Yeah.
2: Regal almost. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I know. Can you imagine, like, the excitement of being an Eaton and finding out that that's, like, oh, we're from this family. Not only are we also, like, stinking rich, but also we get to parade Santa through the streets. To trumpeting and great cheer.
2: Yeah, r- royal weddings have nothing on this. No,
1: apparently not. <laughs> it seems like it is basically the Canadian version of the royal wedding. <laughs> Lots of fanfare. So from that point to the present day, the parade has tended to grow in size, save when it was almost canceled in the early eighties. Dun dun dun. So many
2: mistakes in the eighties.
1: <laughs> hey.
2: <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a shot at you around, but I can see you took it personally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wasn't even thinking that. <laughs> I was just thinking how much I love the eighties. <laughs> but yes, I was born in the eighties. <laughs> In 1913, Eaton's imported reindeer from Labrador to pull Santa's sleigh in the parade. Actual reindeer. They were cared for by their own veterinarian, and that same year, Santa accepted letters from children which were deposited by kids in baskets on the side of his sleigh. Each letter received a response from Santa, and clearly by this point Eaton's was willing to spend a substantial amount to make sure that the parade was a unique and memorable display.
2: The parade grew until 1982, when Eaton's president, Frederick Eaton, canceled the event due to the recession. The parade cost nearly $500,000 for Eaton's company to sponsor each year. And Frederick Eaton stated that while he had always enjoyed the parade, he didn't feel like he could justify the expense while the company had recently laid off 500 employees. Eaton's also noted that in recent years, the November 1st date of the parade had drawn numerous complaints um, about it being just too early.
1: Yeah, he had no idea what was in store. I mean, I've seen Christmas decorations out... You know, before even Halloween is over. So, I mean, Frederick Eaton, you, uh, I think you jumped the gun a little too early on that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like the dollar store's uh, market. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, Torontonians were dismayed by this news. In a Toronto Star poll, 90% of respondents favored saving the parade, and an effort to do so was launched. This ranged from a grassroots fundraising campaign to cooperation between the Mayor of Toronto, Art Eggleton, and Metro Toronto Chairman Paul Godfrey. Together, Eggleton and Godfrey created a nonprofit to run the parade. Eaton's transferred the new organization all the costumes and floats for the parade, while numerous corporate sponsors agreed to help provide the financial backing. And thus, the parade was saved.
1: It's actually really impressive that they were willing to donate them and transfer them over. I mean, obviously, when it's to a nonprofit. It's in your best interest to come across well, especially in the season of giving. But it's still nice because considering that they were spending half a million dollars in the 80s right. on this parade, that's a substantial sum. And I'm sure that every year there were new costumes to be made, and they had to, even just cleaning the costumes and everything would have been a tidy sum. So
2: it's can, very nice. Can you imagine if they hadn't, though? Like they're already under fire for canceling it. And if they really turn public opinion, can you imagine the headline, uh, Eaton's Holds Toronto Santa Claus Parade Hostage?
0: In a dramatic development this weekend. (laughs) Although Toronto is the main parade that we think of in association with Eaton's, even after it was turned over to the hands of the community and a nonprofit, they also started Santa Claus Parades in other provinces. Eaton's launched a Santa Claus Parade in Winnipeg in 1909. While it was never as large or as long-lasting, it highlights that the corporate reach of Eaton's was key in spreading this new tradition. The company started parades in Montreal, Calgary, and Edmonton as well over the years. The Winnipeg Santa Claus Parade is Canada's second oldest and the second largest parade after Toronto's. From its inception, the Winnipeg Santa Claus Parade was under the umbrella of parades owned by Eaton's department store, but the 1960s saw a major shift as to how a parade was led and run. The 1960s saw a transition into a community-based parade when leadership was passed over from Eaton's to the Winnipeg Firefighters Club, a similar situation to Toronto. So again, it's kind of that same
1: idea that what happened in Toronto later, although in Toronto it happened in the 80s, but in Winnipeg it happened a lot sooner that it shifted from being a corporate issue and a corporate parade to instead being something that was led by the community and becoming more of a like a local Mm. group that is people who want to be involved in it and find that ownership and want to take it on.
2: Yeah, and since the 1960s, the Winnipeg Santa Claus Parade has had sort of continual new ownership, such as the Winnipeg JC's, now JCI Winnipeg, a not-for-profit organization, and Manitoba Hydro, all the while still maintaining its desire to remain a community-led and driven event.
0: Starting in 1987, donations and non-perishable food items were collected alongside the route, which is something that I don't know about the parades that you guys have seen, but that's a big part of the one in London as well.
2: And it is a big part of the Down yeah. one from what I remember. I haven't been in years, but yeah. it's it's interesting how once it becomes more community-driven, they kind of tie in some charity elements like mm-hmm. that too, sort of support local food banks. Yeah. yeah.
1: The Winnipeg Santa Claus Parade has been an annual tradition since 1909, but it wasn't until 2016 that there had been any indigenous representation
0: or a float being included.
1: That idea first originated in October 2016, When the Southern Chiefs Organization, an organization that represents 34 Southern First Nations communities in Manitoba, and works to, quote, establish an independent political forum to protect, preserve, promote, and enhance First Nations people's inherent rights, languages, customs, and traditions, wanted to feature the youth from Northern Canada as part of the annual event.
2: A float was created that included a three-meter-high headdress, and with the participation of 19 schools, feathers were decorated with a story behind each feather. In addition to the float, there were indigenous dancers, horses, and members of Bear Clan, a neighborhood patrol group.
1: Also, Cree Nation singer Rhonda Head sang Silent Night in Cree. In
0: 2018, the Santa Claus Parade was in serious peril and nearly ended its 108-year-long tradition due to lack of funding. Luckily, the goal to raise $100,000 was easily exceeded by the community's generous outpouring to repair the Santa Claus float, a major highlight and focal point of the parade. Without it, and the money to repair it, the parade would have been cancelled. This goes to show how ingrained the Santa Claus parade has been to the community, and when it faced peril, the public banded together to keep their centuries-long tradition going.
2: But Robin, what about other parts of Canada?
0: I never said there wasn't anything about other parts of Canada. (laughs) But Nick, since you clearly
1: would like to share more of a focus across Canada, why don't you go ahead?
2: There's so much of Canada and so many, so many Santa Claus parades. In Victoria, B.C., there is not only a regular Santa Claus parade called Santa's Light Parade, sponsored by Island Farms, but also the IEOA Truck Light Convoy. The IEOA is the Island Equipment Owners Association, a union of heavy equipment owners and dealers in the Greater Victoria area. At Christmas, they decorate their trucks with lights and parade through the city in a convoy as part of a food drive. Get it? Drive.
0: BAM! Did <laughs> not
2: So they do this food drive to the local food banks. The parade's capped off with Santa arriving at the end, of course, by truck.
0: Well, of course. Of course. I'm imagining, like, a monster truck. Uh Like, I'm sure that's not what it is, but that was the first thing that came to mind. And if Santa had a mohawk to go with it? Yes. And he's running over small candy cane shaped cars all in a line to get to the end. It's beautiful. That's not what happens. (laughs)
2: Yeah, but this uh, this parade's interesting because it's a real merge of uh, both the corporate side and a grassroots community-driven uh, Santa Claus parade.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really finding a way to be both of those things at the same time and still achieve that community feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know at the one in London, anyway, unions also play a really large role. So it's really great to see you know like unions in their communities and you know celebrating the seasons and they're out there with their families and. So it's really neat to see that aspect be celebrated in the parade as well, because it can be an incredibly commercial event, as we can see. Historically, it is a commercial event.
1: And not to be outdone, Watson, Saskatchewan may not have their own Santa Claus parade, but they have something which I think is better. They have a Santa Claus Day. So this annual and much more intimate tradition began in 1932, so still has quite a history to it. And in 1996, they built a 25-foot-high Santa Claus in the town to commemorate it, complete with a dumpster painted as a present. Because if it's 25 feet high, what are you going to make that's going to be an, an accurate scale size for presents, except <laughs> a dumpster?
2: If, if there's anything I know about Western Canada, they like making giant statues of things. <laughs> world's biggest camel, there's world's biggest muskie, is in Kenora, right? Husky the muskie. What else we got? Help me out here. (laughs) Yeah, you're on your own. I swear, they're everywhere. You can (laughs) do a whole road trip. I bet Moose Jaw has the biggest moose.
1: Oh, boy. (laughs) We'll send you off on your own Western Canadian road trip to find out. You can just go off on your own and let us know at the end. I'll do
2: some research. (laughs)
0: The central focus of these early parades and the reason department stores such as Eaton's were willing to invest so much in them was that the parades were one of the largest advertisements that stores could produce. Think about it, right? Like it's an event that everyone goes to and you're all excited for it and Eaton's is in big letters on the side of everything sponsored by Eaton's. It makes sense. It's a very good marketing opportunity.
2: These parades were really focused on creating a holiday event that attracted families from all over and provided the opportunity to promote their company to all of their parade attendees.
0: BBC reporter Kim McGiddleson writes in her article discussing the history of Black Friday that these holiday parades began to firmly establish themselves as a holiday ritual for families, stating, quote, Once Santa appeared at the end of the parade, the signal was that the holiday season, and thus holiday shopping, had begun. Of course, in the case of Toronto Santa Claus Parade, consumers were encouraged to buy their presents at Eaton's, end quote.
2: The role of department stores in their advertising outreach cannot be underestimated when looking at the history of these holiday celebrations. The central figure highlighted at all of these events was Santa Claus himself, who during this period was also a relatively new addition to department stores across North America. James Ecker of Brockton, Massachusetts, is believed to be the first individual to dress up as Santa Claus in 1890 and visit a department store so that children could meet St. Nick in person.
1: Can you imagine, though, a world in which it doesn't seem obvious and natural that you would have a Santa Claus in your store?
0: Is the picture that you're painting, like, this this scenario, the first one, where you walk in and there's just a man dressed up as Santa Claus? Yeah, and, and the idea that they were like, you know what a great idea
1: would be? Let's actually put Santa Claus in the store and have have a whole marketing commercial aspect mm-hmm. of having him here and bring kids in and their families. And then mm-hmm. once they're in here, they'll see what they want for Christmas and they'll buy them. Like, that just seems like such a staple of the holiday experience now. That mm-hmm. so thinking about how that was revolutionary in right. 1890, that's, I can't, I don't even think I can wrap my head around that concept of
0: someone coming up with that idea. He's a mascot. He's your shopping mascot.
2: Essentially, So Mm. you got James Edgar shows up and Mm. says, hey, Coca-Cola put out this image of Santa Claus. They're putting it everywhere. I'll just dress like that. I've got a red suit already. I'll wear that. It'll be great.
1: Well, we don't know if it was James Edgar who came up with it himself, but he was the first person who actually dressed up, which is really interesting because, I mean, they're in the Twilight Zone. They have episodes with the the Santa Claus being part of the stores. You know, we have the Christmas Mm. story. Mm -hmm. We have Miracle on 34th Street. Already in the early 20th century, it seems to be a pretty big staple of department stores. Mm. So to see that wave just kind of wash across all of these stores so quickly and become such a staple item is really remarkable.
2: Yeah, how it just so quickly became an invented tradition that we all decided was a great thing to buy in on.
1: And continue
0: to do for over a century at this point. Did you guys ever get your pictures taken with Santa Claus early? Like, because remember they'd have those Canada Post boxes and you'd take your Santa Claus letter and you put it in the slot and then you'd wait in line for a million years and then get your picture taken? I'm still reeling
1: from the fact that whoever created the postal code system set it up so that perfectly later on we'd be able to come along and make ho-ho-ho a legit <laughs> it was, postal code. It was meant to be.
2: It was a stroke of sheer brilliance.
1: It's amazing, but (laughs) I mean, the stars, they aligned so perfectly. It was
0: an Oprah aha moment, is what that was. (laughs) (laughs) That's what that was. But as for the
1: pictures, mm, um. I'm gonna assume no for you. Well, actually, yes. I. What? I thought you weren't on speaking terms. <laughs> well, we, we weren't really. Um, which is what caused the problem when my mother decided that she wanted us to get some free chocolate, which is what they were giving out to the families who got their pictures taken. Because, I mean, who doesn't want free chocolate? I would, I mean, in retrospect, I would make the same decision. But as a child <laughs> who's never really understood who Santa Claus is and has no real, um, you know, Point of reference, being stuck on some stranger's lap, who I don't know who he is, and I've always been told not to go near strangers, it was pretty uh, traumatic, I think is the word. Oh, (laughs) no. I I didn't behave the way the other kids did, that's for sure.
2: Stranger danger. (laughs)
1: There's a lot of crying. Um, I'm not sure whether or not we did get the chocolate in the end, probably, in order to just get them. They probably gave it to us to get us away. (laughs) Because we we're really ruining the vibe of <laughs> the rest <laughs> of the line. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we have a picture, though. I don't think there is any picture there's of me no, on Santa Claus. <laughs>
0: there's no memento
1: of that traumatizing
0: day. <laughs> no, but
1: I have the satisfaction of knowing I got to eat chocolate. That's good. That's all you need.
2: <laughs> T- Two dollars at uh at the Shoppers or. Traumatize your child forever. (laughs) Your choice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I don't think she thought that's what was going to happen. I think I think she thought she'd communicated the free chocolate part and really sold that. (laughs) But I I didn't realize what the cost would be.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was so young. I didn't understand.
2: You rebelled.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What about you guys? Um, I think we went. My older sister and I went a lot when we were little kids, and then I have a sister who's quite a bit younger than me. So then, as a so then as like a teenager. And a young adult having her around, we would take her because our parents were, like, built-in babysitters. Here you go. So we would get all these pictures, like, my older sister and I, like, making funny faces. And then, like, my little sister is always sitting in the middle looking, like, really full of wonder. And I think they're funny, but um I was stuck in, like, doing childhood things a lot longer than I think most people were but it was for the benefit of a child, so I don't feel that strange about it.
2: And, and what a greater gift than a child's laughter, Keeley. This
0: is what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> or certainly better than their screams. <laughs> <laughs> well, <yeah.
2: laughs> don't worry, Robin, I don't think you were the first child to scream in Santa's laugh.
0: <laughs> it's just like like when you walk in around Christmas in the mall, all you hear is screaming, children.
2: <laughs> it's stressful.
0: It is
1: true. There's a lot of emotions at play. <laughs>
2: What about you, Nick? Um, I, have, I have one distant memory of being a child at, I, not at a mall, but at my mom's office Christmas party, maybe? Maybe they invited all the kids, and I think we made little gingerbread houses and then got photos with Santa. But it's the vaguest of memories.
0: Well, it all adds up. Like, <laughs>
2: it all comes together. <laughs> it
0: all makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the popularity of the Santa meet-and-greet That we've been talking about resulted in department stores across the country introducing them into their retail spaces, with writer Jamie Cagliari stating that, quote, By the turn of the century, the department store Santa was an institution, end quote. Around the same time when Santa Claus took to the streets as holiday parades began to emerge and work as an extension of this highly successful and relatively new holiday tradition.
2: These factors came together to fuel the department store's growing influence and its ever increasing retail relationship with Santa Claus, reflected in their parades. As the parades became more common, seasonal sales, in particular American Thanksgiving holiday sales, began to form a central part of consumer spending for the year.
1: I think it's interesting to note that this has really just kind of stabilized over the past century. That, you know, Santa Claus is still hanging out in department stores. I mean, obviously, the real one is in one of them somewhere. Um, so you got to go to the mall just in case. Um, and they'll report back too. So it's, it's important. Got to cover your bases. <laughs> but we have these Santa Clauses who are doing the meet and greet in the department stores. We have the Santa Claus parade. Both are constantly happening in tandem. Um, and Santa Claus is being used in, in other retail spaces. I mean, now it's in commercials, specifically Coca Cola, but I think almost every commercial that airs around the holiday season has an element of Santa or a reference to Santa Mm. in them. It's very common. And there's, you know, movies and things as well. But really, it hasn't progressed too much beyond where it got to in this time period of introducing him into retail sales. It's just kind of held at that point where it is very peak Santa, but we haven't really seen all that many new introductions into other retail areas. Maybe he's already just cornered the market. Mm. But I think it's interesting just to to see how it started back in 1890 and it's just continued. It hasn't
0: abated. The Santa Claus Parade, as we know it today, is a televised event broadcasting to millions across the country the spectacle and pageantry of the Christmas season. Eaton's took advantage of new forms of media, beginning with radio and newspaper coverage, but it wasn't until the advent of television and film that Eaton saw huge potential for broadcasts. Beginning in the 1930s, Eaton began to distribute movies of the parade across the country to theaters, schools, libraries, and volunteer groups. In 1952, it was first televised.
2: That's right. In the early days of television, the televised parade couldn't quite compete with the Macy's Santa Claus parade because Canadian television wasn't as advanced. It wasn't until 1958 when the government-owned Canadian Broadcasting Corporation began coast-to-coast broadcasting, that the parade could be broadcast nationally and beyond. But the CBC remained a hybrid of major city stations operated by the corporation and affiliated private licensees who retained considerable local autonomy. As a result, there was no consistent policy on showing the parade. Some stations did so as a public service, while others required Eaton's to sponsor the broadcast. The procedure seemed to change from year to year, which became a source of frustration to Canadians, especially small-town residents.
1: Well, yeah, they don't have their own parades, necessarily. They get used to seeing the parades. It becomes a tradition in the family. And then you just make it inconsistent? That's so frustrating. Ugh.
2: Was was this a problem in (laughs) Millgrove? I I don't know. In the the 80s and 90s? Clearly
1: clearly Santa Claus wasn't a a real fixture in my household. (laughs) Um, So I, I... Never really missed him. Didn't really even notice. We hardly knew you, Santa. <laughs> it's, and it's true. <laughs> by 1960, 47 stations operated in Canada, and three quarters of families had TV sets. So the arrival of a second private national network, dubbed CTV, ooh, with its own coast-to-coast relay system, by 1963, increased the depth and coverage of Canadian television. By the early 1970s, the parade broadcast regularly reached almost 3 million Canadian viewers over more than 60 stations from coast to coast. So, it quickly grew.
2: And with more and more Canadians who had television access, the nature of the parade began to change. One television reporter in 1973 commented that, quote, television coverage has become as important as the event itself reaching millions of more children across the country in places as far away as Prince Rupert, British Columbia and St. John's, Newfoundland.
1: Well, I think that's so sweet to think of, like, it's kind of like when you get the like, Wish Book or something, right? Like, there's there's all these little traditions that children have that is part of what makes the season so magical. So to think that just being able to sit down in front of your TV and watch this experience that even though you may be isolated in your own room is still an experience that is shared with millions of Canadians across the country is so interesting. It's such a nice, quaint, kind of nostalgic thing to consider because there really aren't that many things these days that people watch like that on TV. There aren't as many national events. I mean, obviously the Royal Wedding, but <laughs> <laughs> but even hockey, right? Like the hockey to an extent, but it's still a subsection of the population. Whereas this is a huge, this was a family event. This was something that many and probably the majority of families did together. So it's interesting to think of it as being a nation-building kind of moment, whether or not it really was bringing people physically together. It was bringing the, them like emotionally together.
2: Especially as it's part of a new mass culture with the invention of the television, but also a mass culture in a growing Canada post-war.
0: Absolutely. While televising the parade made it possible for many outside the big cities to watch the event, it in no way captured the vibrancy and sounds that spectators witnessed watching it live, especially during this time. TVs until the 1970s were black and white, and speakers were quite limited, unable to pick up the quality of the sounds. The celebratory and carnival aspect could not be as easily transmitted through the airwaves, and this became the challenge for broadcasters. How to recreate the parade experience to television
2: viewers? This is where commentary became an essential to the Santa Claus Parade. It needed a middle voice between the parade and the viewer to describe what was being seen and to communicate the broader excitement of the moment. Eaton's took particular interest in this aspect of the broadcast since the commentator had to do more than describe and needed a narrative style that evoked the emotional spirit of the parade. The company learned that comedians, hosts variety of variety shows, and children's performers work better than news anchors.
1: I think that's so interesting to consider that this... Has largely shaped the way that we cover not just the Santa Claus parade on TV, but just any televised event.
2: You, you need play-by-play though, like this is actually something I'm really interested in, and I read a whole article recently on how um, Aussie Rules football commentators speak like Beowulf was supposed to be spoken and read aloud. They're like the ancient poets of old because they need to describe, one, what's going on, to attach an evocative emotional experience, and Basically, get that information to you in as few words as possible. And that's mm-hmm. the same sort of thing here.
1: Well, it's really cool. And it's also just still something that has continued to grow and shape the way that we experience so many events today. Almost anything that gets televised has a commentator. Mm-hmm. And it's also become its own kind of subgenre to have. Uh, mockumentary-style satire kind of coverage of those things, whether it's hiring Will Ferrell to pretend to be Ron Burgundy during a curling championship in Canada, which actually <laughs> happened, or, um, you know, again, Will Ferrell, he seems to really like this, Will <laughs> Ferrell and Molly Shannon covering the royal wedding as fake newscasters, fake commentators and actually creating whole backstories. And HBO paid them a lot of money for that. And I'm sure it was very successful because it's become its own genre of experiencing television. So then making that into a comedy is just really the natural next step. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's funny because Will, Will Ferrell actually, I think he originally wanted to be a sports broadcaster. So he's he's done the same thing where he's gone into Cubs games and just sat in the booth and done play-by-play. <laughs> just as doing impressions of famous play-by-play people. Because there's, mm. there's so many, with the advent of television, there's so many people who've become absolutely famous in this period. Mm. And their are voices that are basically retiring from it now. Think of um, people who've uh, done the play-by-play for the Leafs, mm. like Rick Channarap with the Sabres. He's luckily still doing play-by-play. Mm. But you can see the different styles if you compare old commentary or older people doing commentary who've done it for maybe 30, 40 years to people who are brand new. Mm. and it's totally different stuff yeah that's
1: true yeah i love
2: play by play i can go on about this for days
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting to think that eaton's is one of the first discoverers of this whole talent in the snack who would be well suited to this role definitely and the fact that this role was needed you know it really is breaking down the third wall right the idea of having to have a mediator someone that can be the translator someone who can be the audience's proxy if you will like being there in our stead experiencing it experiencing what we wish we were experiencing it and then relaying it to us
0: and also kind of like telling you how to feel right yeah. and, and there are many good things about this obviously because it's like helping share information of this community and societal and even in some cases a national sort of event but it also kind of encourages you to think a particular way which is fine um, but if we're going to get into the commercial aspect as well mm. I think it kind of it can be used as a tool to like direct your attention and direct your focus and look at that beautiful i don't know Macy's balloon or the eatons you know like and you you would be seeing those things in person anyway but it's just to have that other voice kind of like confirming and this is not commercial everyone this is just normal go out and buy things which right. is a little jaded but but still like i mean i'm sure
1: that if eatons was finding the idea that they needed to have a mediator almost certainly there were going to be commercials Mm -hmm. involved in that or you know, kind of like an infomercial type thing of pointing out different items or, oh, on this float, we have this item featured, which is now for sale, and you can find it at your local Eden store using the Eden's catalog.
0: I'm I'm certain that that was part of it because why would you pass up that opportunity? Mm. And I think it's interesting, too, for the commercial aspect because even though most of these parades are now community run or their organizations that are not for profit or they just operate specifically to have the parades. It, now it's this amalgamation right, of the community groups but then also like TD banks got to float in there and not that the, there's anything inherently like incorrect or like wrong about that but it's interesting how this commercial advertisement becomes a symbol for a holiday. It, it becomes like a community event and then the commercial aspect comes back in um, but I think that's kind of inevitable. Mm-hmm, yeah, say. it's really
2: interesting how interwoven it really all is, mm-hmm. right?
0: Which is, of course, part of how it was born
1: in the first place. So mm-hmm. I think it's been an interesting discovery for us today to see how not only does Canada have quite the history of Santa Claus parades, and not only how we influenced its growth throughout North America, but also you know this idea that commercialism has really been baked into it from the start, that it... It's grown from there to become so much more, to include community-led efforts and not-for-profits and all these other really wonderful, really meaningful, important things. But, um, you know, its origins are still very much commercial. And so it's interesting to see how that's translated over the years and how it still plays its role, but obviously has changed a little bit. Yeah, I think it'll be exciting this year to, to go to the Santa Claus Parade's see what's going on Um, maybe notice some of those aspects at play Uh, if you're going to be watching it at home to hear the commentators and hear how exactly they choose to explain what you're viewing and highlight the different aspects around you Um, and also of course to enjoy hot chocolate and candy canes so we hope that you get your chance this year to see saint nick and that you'll get all of your winter wonderland dreams come true whether or not there is snow on the ground at the time of the parade and now you're in the know Notice History is a No History podcast. We are produced by Emily Cuggy and myself, Robin Mullins. This week's head research elves were Nick Johnston, DeHi Daniel, Beth Solis, and Alice Glaze. With audio mixing by Jessica DiLorenzio. For more information about the topics we covered today, check out our blog at nohistory.ca slash podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always email us at podcast at nohistory.ca or find us on social media at Notice History. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.